Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, forgotten taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command Center. It is January 15th, Wednesday, already halfway through the month and the year has just begun. Uh, But there is too much going on to pack into this one show, pack into a week's worth of shows. That's why you need to subscribe to all of our shows at YouTube. You need to go to conservativereview.com and subscribe to a lot of our articles on issues that we don't even have time to get to. Um, Or if I don't have time to write about it, go to my uh, Twitter page at rmconservative where you can see all my short little musings on so many interesting stories that go on every day that affect the future of our governance, the future of our civilization. And yet, there's no voice, no vision, no guiding principles espoused by any any normal political party on those issues. So last night we had another Democrat debate that no one cares about, except for certain conservative pundits. I find it kind of interesting how People who call themselves conservatives are obsessed with defending Bernie Sanders from Elizabeth Warren. Like, he's being treated unfairly by the Democrat establishment. I don't care. To me, it's kind of like the Sunnis and the Shias. I mean, like, you know, why don't we ever have a movement to get involved in our own primaries? What about focusing on the things Republicans can do to have a Republican audience pressure Republicans over issues that matter. You know, just came out as we're recording today that Nancy Pelosi uh, announced her uh, floor managers for the impeachment trial. So that's the big news now. There's a lot going on in this country that affect our civilization. And as we note always, we get back to first principles. Nothing affects the, the future of our society, our government, our politics, our culture, our security, than the future orientation of our society itself. That we are flooding this country with hundreds of thousands of unvetted people from Sharia lands, from intractable tribal wars, where we are bringing in cultures that are very, very different and in large numbers where you don't get the traditional assimilation phenomenon that we experience for most of our history of immigration. And you would think that would be a core issue for Republicans. Yet, as we noted, there are not now 19 of 27 Republican governors have agreed to bring in more refugees to their states when President Trump offered them the prerogative not to, and the assumption was that Republican governors wouldn't, and one after another, all of them agreed. Maybe we need to start some sort of a theme on this show of with Republicans like these dot, 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 who needs Democrats. I found I I find myself saying that a lot. You know, yesterday we had Governor Kim Reynolds, who, you know, accepted refugees. She announced yesterday that she's going to change the Constitution of Iowa to allow felons to vote. Who needs Democrats when Republicans are not just doing wrong things, but they are doing things that will create Democrat voters, open borders with illegal immigrants at the border. 
give a well maybe i'll get to a little later this idaho state senator republican pushing driver's licenses for illegal aliens in idaho <laughs> you know we, we're talking about new york and everything even states like idaho there's no such thing as a red state if we have time we'll get to a whole uh whole speech by governor asa hutchinson from arkansas on the need to bring in refugees but today i want to celebrate the one governor who actually stood up for the forgotten taxpayer the forgotten american citizen who doesn't want his community transformed with congolese and sudanese gangs with somali gangs and terrorists or at the very least just with you know impoverished public charge at a time when we have really one of the worst homeless problems we've had in recent memory if not in our history just domestically and greg abbott on friday announced look no mas we've taken in so many refugees through illegal immigration in texas and at some point you got you, you got to slow this down and what was amazing is that he got so many hits from conservative media. Washington Examiner ran these things. This is terrible. This is not who we are as Texans. This is not who we are. It's funny how conservative, so-called conservative politicos tend to be more liberal on these issues than, than your average Democrat voter. I find myself, again, saying that a lot, whether it's the issue of immigration, whether it's the issue of crime. This is a huge problem. But Governor Abbott was right on so many levels. I don't even know if he realizes how right, right he was, but I'm nonetheless thankful that he decided to be the one governor to blaze his own trail. And despite all of the bipartisan elites yelling at him, willing to say no. See, virtue signaling is no virtue, but it's also very cheap. Virtue signaling is when you're like, are you a good person? I'm a good person. I, I feel bad for the downtrodden. Do, do, do you want to take refugees? I, I, refugees are amazing. It takes a lot more to explain the geopolitical dynamic of why we don't have the traditional refugees we've used to we, we used to have, why they are not benefiting America, why many of them are security problems, cultural problems, and almost all fiscal problems. And that the entire notion of refugee resettlement in the world we live in today is outdated and how where this is really coming from is being driven by rent seekers in government. Nine VOLAGs, these refugee resettlement contractors that get $3.5 in cash over the last 10 years from the taxpayer. $3.5 You go to Ann Corcoran's website, refugeeresettlementwatch.org. Um, Ter terrific resource uh, we had her on the show a couple weeks ago uh, she tallies on a spreadsheet the amount each of the nine get and have gotten for the last decade that's what it's all about but all these conservative politicos oh and and look i mean you've seen them some of them are pretty well known they were just virtue signaling left and right they don't know the issue they don't study the issue they don't you know research it I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Well, no, you're not a good person. One of my favorite biblical verses is in uh, Proverbs 12.10. The mercy of the wicked is cruel. 
Because what they do is their mercy is cruelty to the people who deserve mercy. More and more pro-criminal stuff, more and more so-called refugee stuff, and they're not refugees, which we're going to get to. But I want to go through one point after another, take, take each one. So they always talk about, oh, what's the problem? There's no security risk. Absurd. First of all, ironically, a, a guy, in, um, a refugee, an Iraqi refugee, was just arrested in Houston for murder and other crimes. Um, no one talks about that. But, you know, you had uh, this case of this Iranian who was arrested a couple miles away from Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach County, Florida. And he was caught with a machete, a pickaxe, some other weapons, 22000 in cash. And then they let him go. They just charged him with like a weapons violation or something. We still don't know what, what his deal was. But this guy is not good news. And I wondered at the time, well, how did he get into the country? Well, thank God, one of the few focused good journalists around, and there are very few on the right, John Binder of Breitbart, reported from his sources in DHS that this guy is a refugee. He's an Iranian refugee. And uh, how many more are dangerous like that? Well, I could answer that question. I want to start again on the cultural security side and then move into the languages, the neighborhood community transformation, the fiscal cost of refugee resettlement. And why Greg Abbott is a bigger hero than he even probably realizes and why his critics are wrong. But Andy McCarthy, again, one of the few deep thinkers around left these days, he has an article out at National Review. Saudi, Saudi's t- terrorist massacre at Florida Naval Base highlights the weakness of U.S. vetting. It's almost verbatim a lot of the stuff we mentioned on the show this week. And yesterday, he, he actually observes the same point that I made about Attorney General Barr's press conference, where he seemed to indicate that the only concern he had about the social media, you know, pro-jihadist social media postings of up to 17 Saudis here on military training is that the Saudi government felt it was unbecoming and disenrolled them and called them back. But it almost sounded like we wouldn't have a problem with that. And even if it's reading too much in there, like Andy says, maybe we would have done it, but you know, we figure we'll just praise the Saudis. It sure doesn't sound like we are going to prospectively vet the ideology. And I want to get to that in a minute, what I mean by that, the ideology of not just the military trainees, but the hundreds of thousands who come in on green card, uh, chain migrant green cards, family-based visas, refugees, and foreign students who don't attend naval bases, but attend civilian universities. If this is how tepid we are about retrospectively, even after you catch it, kicking out military trainees on naval bases. And as you well know, Andy McCarthy was the lead prosecutor, the AUSA in the Southern District of New York and Manhattan for the Department of Justice in one of the first major terrorism trials in America, the Blind Sheik for the uh, 1993 World Trade Center bombing. And he studied Islam a lot. 
And he notes that, as we say often, he talks about Sharia supremacism. Now he goes on to say how it's not all Islam and it's, you know, it's a form of it. And I think he's being a little bit diplomatic, but we'll just leave that aside. But he notes that it is thus inevitable that a certain unknown percentage of Muslims are or will become Sharia supremacists and a certain unknown but smaller percentage of Sharia supremacists are or will become jihadists. Consequently, it has long been known that our capacity to protect America from jihadist attacks hinges on our ability to discourage infiltration of the political ideology that fuels them, which would necessitate vetting for Sharia supremacism when foreign Muslims seek to enter the United States. And what he noted is that basically all our government does is look for jihadists. So do you have a card that says jihadist on it? Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, or whatever. Well, that's very few people. But how many people are on social media or other means, or if they're not expressing it publicly, privately believe in things, um, retweeting things from jihadist sheiks or whatever? Well, you could debate what the percentage is. For argument's sake, let's say it's not a majority, but it's a heck of a lot of people. And when you're bringing in every year, roughly, we don't have an exact number, but let's just say roughly 170,000 Muslims um, as permanent residents on green cards and 150 or so thousand on student visas, not to mention these smaller programs that we saw with the Saudi military training program, how many of them love America? And this is what I said, shouldn't it be clear if you want to stop terrorism, as Andy's talking about, you don't bring in Sharia supremacists. Now, I would say even without terrorism, even if there was no pipeline of going kinetic from you know, anti-American beliefs to being a terrorist, let's say that never exists, there's no such thing as Islamic terrorism. Is it too much to ask still that we don't bring in people who hate America? Shouldn't we only bring in people who love America? And now with that premise, I want to get back to refugee resettlement. So refugees, the reason why on the surface it evokes a, more of a positive image because it sounds like, oh my gosh, a guy with American values in the part of the world that doesn't have American values, who's fighting for American values and fighting tyranny like, you know, the Soviet Union, uh, Soviets fighting um, communism. Uh, like, you know, the Refuseniks, uh, people from Indochina fled the North Vietnamese, people from from Cuba, at least the earlier wave in the 50s. And they would come here and they would shed a tear when they see the American flag. That's what the left wants to, the image they want to evoke when they talk about refugees. The problem is that doesn't exist anymore. Because as we noted, the way the world is today all you basically have are tribal conflicts in Africa or Sunni and Shia civil wars throughout the Middle East. So you could have a guy that's in Somalia. He's in Iraq. He's in Iran. He's in all these places. And yeah, he wants to come here. He wants the welfare 
Or if it's not a public charge, some of them aren't, most of them are, but some of them they'll, they'll open up delis, they'll open up things, and they'll, they'll work, but they couldn't do it there. They want a job. But do they love America? Do they not believe in Sharia? <laughs> what a joke. It's not true. I mean, that, that's what they're missing. This is the question nobody is asking. I know they appreciate the initial coming here, but every day we report on Afghani and, uh, and uh, Iraqi special immigrant visas that supposedly helped our military there come here and they, they plot attacks. That's, that's what Sharia is all about. Or they will gr they'll cluster in communities and have these radical Muslim Brotherhood mosques and the curriculum in their schools radicalize them and maybe the parents will be busy either on welfare or running a business. But the kids who are five, two years old, like the Chattanooga shooter, or sometimes unborn yet and are born here, there's not no way to vet that. But they're going to get reared into Sharia. That was the lesson of Europe, where it was often the second generation. And, and we're seeing that here as well. A lack of assimilation. And there's a lack of assimilation because they are not, they're coming for economic reasons. They're coming to escape the violence in the abstract, but not that they are a one-sided persecution. Now, yeah, from Iran, we have brought in some Christians and Jews that I'm sure, you know, the majority of them really do appreciate America, but that is not the majority of what we brought in from there. And, and in most of the other countries, you know, like Somalia, we've exclusively brought in Muslims. Or again, from Sudan and Congo, these just ancient tribal warfares, they're, they're, they're not coming to love America for the most part in, in large numbers. And that's what we're forgetting. That's what we're forgetting. And this is what hopefully Greg Abbott understands. But let me move on to some of these aspects. So, one of the things that these clowns are saying is that, um, all right, Daniel, all right. I understand you don't want to flood the country with numbers, but we're just, the numbers are down. You know, to begin with, Trump is only bringing in a small number. So that even when states opt in, they're opting in not to a massive flow. It's a low flow. Daniel, could you not accept two to 3,000 people in a state the size of Texas? What's wrong with you? So before I get to the main point that's being missed, let me just talk about some side points here that are very dishonest. What they always do is they have 50 flows of immigration, and then each one they reset the baseline to zero as if we didn't have the other ones and isolate like a laser beam just this one and say this is the only one. So like every time there's something that happens in the world, whether it's a war, whether it's a famine, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's an Islamic uh, dust up, um, the answer is to bring them, the answer is immigration and the answer is immigration only to the United States. And they're like, well, the Bahamas just got hit by a hurricane. Remember that? You can't bring in more people. Oh, temporary protected status for Venezuela. You can't do that. Well, each thing they add up. So it's like, again, as I noted, we have record high illegal immigration, record high um, U visas, record high SJVs, record high UACs, record high SIVs. Yes, these are all <laughs> programs. 
record high asylum requests. So, I mean, no, we shouldn't take any more. And then people forget you have the diversity visa lottery and then you have the majority of our 1.1 million green cards we hand out every year are to low-skilled third-world migrants that already have low-skilled third-world relatives in the country, and they're coming not based on skills. Like, again, there's one thing if we had a skills-only, assimilation-only um, immigration system that was much smaller, you know, 200,000 instead of 1.1 million that worked for America, and, all right, you know, but there's a couple of refugees I want to bring in. So that would be one thing. But you, you, you can't add that on to everything else. Number two, it's disingenuous because Texas already took in a record number the last 10 years, not just of all the other categories we mentioned, but of the refugee program proper. So like, yeah, at some point you have to say no mas. It's disingenuous to say, well, it's low. Well, yeah, now it's low before it was a record. And then now is the time to slow it down because, you know, part of the issue is Democrat presidential candidates are already promising if they're going to win they're promising to, quote, make up lost ground. In other words, let's say typically we brought in 70,000 refugees a year. Trump brought it down to like 30 and now 20. They're going to bring in 150. Elizabeth Warren is promising 150. So you got you to look at it in totality. So this is what's dishonest about Greg Abbott's critics. And then I'll note, another dishonest thing is Let's take one of those categories, UACs, Unaccompanied Alien Children. These are the Central American, primarily Central American teenagers that are self-smuggled by illegal alien parents to come in here, and we resettle them like refugees through the Office of Refugee Resettlement. So it's not just the refugees in spirit, they're literally resettled under that program. In other words, HIAS and the Lutheran organization and the um, uh, Catholic organization, all these ones that are resettling, right? They are getting money, right? This is what's dishonest. Do you know how many UACs we had resettled in fiscal year 2019 last year? 72,000. That's as much as the average of the entire refugee program in any given year. And they're resettled as refugees. So this notion that somehow they're being shut off is not true because they're just actualizing it through the people in our own hemisphere. So that's what's dishonest when we have a flow. Again, traditionally, their point is Trump is only bringing in 20 to 30,000. Traditionally, we've brought in 70,000. But in recent years, we've had our own hemisphere blow up and we've had 72,000 in addition to hundreds of thousands of others that are like refugees, but 72,000 specifically resettled through the refugee program. But it's just not counted against that typical cap really. Um, you know, doesn't apply to that. So it's extremely dishonest. And Texas last year took in 10,000 UACs, more than any other state. And if you read the Texas Department of Public Safety gang threat assessment, you will see that these are the ones juicing up the numbers of 18th Street, MS-13, Tango Blast, Latin Kings, Tremendous problems from these people. So like this whole thing, oh, let's bring in another impoverished, low-skilled, volatile, potential criminal, some elements, potential terrorist um, uh, wing of immigration and ignore everything else. Well, it all mixes in. You can't say, well, it's not fair. 
these are people brought in legally. Don't blame illegal immigration on that. But it's stupid because if we're suffering, if the communities are suffering, suffering social transformation, the language problems in the schools, the fiscal costs in the schools, the fiscal cost on welfare in the communities, and the safety and security concerns from illegal immigration, well, yeah, we're not going to add to it. And I don't want to hear this distinction legal, illegal. Yeah, we know they come in legally because we allow them to come in, but we are advocating to this year not do that because it will result in the same thing. It's the same demographics. Well, you could bring it in legally or they'll come in illegally, but it's the same point. And where do we see this? The Denver Post put out an amazing expose on a neighborhood in, um, in Denver of refugees suffering homelessness and poverty. Now, they're trying to elicit you know, sympathy and how we need to throw more money and do more for them, but they let, out, they let the cat out of the bag inadvertently. See, sometimes they have these random acts of journalism where they actually report what's going on, but for a different reason, that, oh, these are not all business owners. Oh, I mean, you should read what some of these Republican governors are saying. These people, we need them economically. They are amazing. Not only are they contributors, they create jobs. Oh, okay. So um, they report on uh, 15% of Denver residents, 90% of Aurora residents are foreign-born, higher than the national average. Um, And they note a lot of it is refugees. The street frat, these are groups of refugees they're talking about, endures as a hub. It's like an organization they have that helps 40 or so young men and their families get by in one of the Metro of Metro Denver's toughest areas. City data shows that 48% of children in the East Colfax neighborhood live in poverty and 80% of third graders aren't up to par in their reading. You talk about this one, one guy, um, Muboya said he's been sleeping in a dilapidated laundromat lately, building up as much as possible to endure the cold. He talked about it at a recent giveaway. Muslim women who fled rural Myanmar, formerly Burma, to a UN refugee camp in Thailand and, and who now is in Denver, lack, tr- lack transport to supermarkets, flocked to the cardboard boxes of potatoes and greens set out in the parking lot. By the way, these are the Rayungya, the Burmese Muslims. Um, the directors also are looking for a therapist to help refugees who survived horrors abroad. Um, let's see what else we have here. I'm just skimming here. It's a long article. We keep hearing from our young men that they're trying to find jobs so they'll be able to afford rent. And then they basically complain at the end. This is the funniest thing. This area is going to gentrify. That's what they're complaining about. And by the way, they mean one thing with that. They mean white. Like all of the city. Nobody's going to stand in the way of gentrification. Hope and vision. We've tried to offer some, he said. Yes, the streets will be safer. But they will be so boring. So white. So gentrified. Um, I mean, how many more brew pubs, chain coffee shops, and cheap workout places do we need? Where do people who are just barely making it go? How about these people who are promised a chance at the American dream? They're raising families with cultures and languages that are so rich. What is, what is going to replace them? 
So, I mean, at least they openly admit that refugee resettlement is about social transformation, is about poverty, and it's about not being white. I mean, I, I find it funny, like one of the things there was this one writer for the Federalist who puts out some good work on the cartels. His name is Davidson. And, and he, he tweeted something about Greg Abbott, like this really sends the wrong message to minority voters in Texas. It tells them you're not wanted. And I said to myself, well, what, what does this have to do with race? I mean, we're, we're saying the refugee program is broken. They are not inherently refugees. We're bringing in an equal number of Sunnis and Shias from the same country. So it makes no sense. It's not persecution. So therefore, you're bringing the problems here. It's not like the Jews in the Holocaust, the Soviets, you know, political persecution, fleeing communism. It's a different thing. Um, the fiscal cost, the culture cost, the languages spoken in the schools, yada, yada. And, you know, we're talking about facts and you want to talk about race. What does this have to do with race? Oh, wait a minute. So you are basically admitting that this is refugees. Whites need not apply. It's all about you have to be a certain color. I mean, I'm not the one bringing race into it. They are. Since when does refugee resettlement or any other program under immigration have to be about non-whites in particular or any race in particular? Why is this about making things not white? I mean, they're, they're the racists here. I mean, immigration should work for the country. It should be only, only high skilled, but only what we need. Certainly that they love America, love our culture, love our language. What do, why does this have to be about race? But that is what the left has made it about. By definition, it's not refugee oriented. It's not because you're making it about a particular race. So that's the joke here. They all say, oh, how, look how amazing they are. Hey. You're gentrifying these areas. These refugees are going to suffer. They're so poor. Well, you can't have it both ways. It's kind of like these organizations that said, what are you talking about immigrants on welfare? They're better than you. They're better than Americans. And then Trump's like, okay, so we're going to enforce our public charge laws so they can't be on welfare. And they go and sue in court. You're, these people are going to be out in the streets. <laughs> well, which one is it? I mean, you can't have it both ways. That's... um. That's just the reality. You can't have it both ways. By the way, one interesting point about the uh, Burmese uh, Muslims, the Rayungya, that they reference in this Denver community here, but they're all over the place, is a big part of what we've been bringing in. Guess what? I have heard from people in the know that have worked with evangelical churches because initially we were bringing in Christians from Myanmar. As I said before, predominantly what we used to bring in were Christians simply because if you're talking about persecution, that's those are the ones being persecuted. Those are the persecutees. But what happened was over time, it ended. Not that the hatred ended, but that they were kicked out of these countries by the Muslims. So there's no more people to resettle anymore. So prudentially speaking, the program should have stopped. But again, these greedy resettlement uh, taxpayer paras funded parasitic groups needed a way to justify their living. So they started to then just bring in people from two way civil wars, whether it's clan wars in Congo 
or Islamic Shia civil, uh, Sunni civil wars in the Middle East. So then they started bringing in the Rayungya. Yeah, as if it's, it's the Burmese Buddhists are just one-sided persecution against the Muslims, Muslims. The Muslims, there's no violence. These people are peaceful, but no. So what I've heard is that we've now brought these dividing lines to our country where the, so they'll resettle them in the same communities, the Christians from Lebanon and the Shiite Muslims. Uh, the Burmese Christians and the Burmese Rayungya. And the Christians are scared to come out of their homes in Nashville, Tennessee, because th they have to look over their shoulder. The Rayungya guy might, might ax them. I mean, that's not refugees. Daniel, do you oppose refugee resettlement? What's going on is not refugee resettlement. It's a racket. It's a lie. You know, there's also... There, there are stories in places like Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska, that now have Sudanese and Congolese gangs and drug trafficking that ties back into drug trafficking because anywhere you see gangs of any sort, you're going to see drugs because that's how they uh, earn a living. That's how they fund the gang. Like any organized crime or terrorism, you need drugs to fund it. I mean, nice Norman Rockwell American towns are turning into that. This is the underbelly of the refugee resettlement program that's not being discussed. That's what happens when you're not bringing in, when you're not disentangling a clearly one-sided persecuted minority that loves America and is fighting whatever garbage you have there. And instead, you're just bringing in multiple sides of just third world values. They, yeah, they'll want to come here. They'll appreciate it in the sense that they get out of the violence and um, poverty, but, well, they kind of bring it here. Not all of them, but way too many of them. Taking this back to Texas, Greg Abbott, I want to get to one of the most important aspects of this. So they're saying, how dare Greg Abbott not want just a few thousand people in Texas? What's your problem? Here's the big lie. I have one word for you. Amarillo. And I'll explain what I mean by that. See, what the refugee resettlement contractors do not do is say, all right, you have, uh, what is it, 250-something counties in Texas. We're going to evenly sprinkle individuals throughout every square inch in a gradual like melting pot type of way. And indeed, the laws actually require that. The 1980 Refugee Re Act, this is Section 412 of the INA, codified into 8 U.S.C. 1522, says that the Office of Re Re Refugee Resettlement is to, quote, ensure that a refugee is not initially placed or resettled in an area highly impacted by the presence of refugees or comparable populations. Now, when making this determination, the director of ORR is supposed to take into account, quote, the proportion of refugees and comparable entrants in the population in that area, the availability of employment opportunities, affordable housing and public and private resources, and the likelihood of refugees placed in the area becoming self-sufficient and free from long-term dependence and public assistance. And then they also um, 
the statute stipulates that it has to take into account secondary migration. So let's put that together and show how the program has done the exact opposite. So what they do is random organizations just pick an area to target and colonize it. Because again, refugee resettlement is different than any other program of immigration. As much as our general system is broken, public charge, assimilation, value, lots of things we're talking about, but there's some degree of organic relation to a community. A guy gets a job or he's a foreign student, comes to an area, and it's as an individual. And he's there and he'll live there. Refugee resettlement is literally, you go to the Middle East, you go wherever, and you take hundreds of people at a time, car blanche, and resettle them in a given area. Just the opposite. They don't isolate people. They, they create communities, with, but communities within a community, which is the worst for assimilation. So one of the areas they picked, you know, you're, you're picturing either they sprinkle it out in this 250 county, 30 million population state of Texas, or it's the big you know, cities like Houston. No, Amarillo, Texas got nailed with it. And I'm going to discuss that in a minute. But what, what they do is and then and then what people forget is it might initially be a certain amount. Then you have chain migration. Because our general system is ruined, and within five years, they could bring in all of their relatives. Now, they're going to come into that area, too. So that's not, they're not counted as refugees. They would be counted as, you know, family-based visas. But it's the same principle, and it's the same demographic, and the same type of people. And whatever problems the first flow may or may not have had, these will have the same thing, too even though it's not, they're technically not resettled as refugees. That's how you colonize an area. Hence, Lewiston, Maine. Hence, parts of Minnesota. And hence, Amarillo, Texas. But it's even worse than that. You have secondary refugee derivative visas where, so typically you have to be a citizen to bring in more immigrants, so it takes at least five years from the time you're resettled. But here, guess what? you now have secondary refugees that are brought in from the same area. So let's say there's a violent area of Congo they bring in and dump into Amarillo, Texas, 300 people. Well, who gets to bring in next year's flow? Well, the same refugee resettlement groups. Well, who is working with them? Well, the people they just resettled are now the biggest stakeholders. It's not you and I who determine who and from where we're bringing in. It's going to be the refugee determining, hey, I got friends and relatives and family still left there bring them in in the next fiscal year and they'll come again to amarillo and that's how you wake up 10 years later and you have social transformation social train fiscal strain sometimes security problems and you totally illegally engage in social transformation without representation amarillo texas this is what Greg Abbott is right about. And this is what everyone's missing when they talk about, oh, it's just it's, it's so little it's a drop in the bucket. They're not understanding how the program works. Then again, that's what conservative media is all about, being just like the left and virtue signaling and not actually researching an issue. Since 2002, according to the State Department database, Amarillo has been sent 352 refugees from Congo, 718 from Iran, 396 from Iraq, and 605 from Somalia. 
I mean, these are very potent places, mainly Muslim or radically different. This is not New York City. This is Amarillo, Texas. And those are just the people legally, technically settled on the refugees. What do you think you had since 2002? Derivative refugees and then the chain migrants. So it's not just how many numbers are those, you know, just those countries. Um, it's close to 2,000. Much more than 2,000 you're going to get. Could be over 10,000. Who knows? I, I don't know. Remember, this is a city of just like 190,000. Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo has the most refugees per capita of any city in Texas, and, and it's up there, one of the most in the country. Let's take a look at what has happened. Um, where is this? This is from watchdog.org. And um, I'm quoting from Ann Corcoran's blog here from Refugee Resettlement Watch. This is from uh, a couple years ago, 2016. And she talked about, um, oh, and by the way, just one other thing, she talks about meatpacking plants. So again, they're, how do they determine where they're resettled? It's usually special interests. So meatpacking plants, in the case of Amarillo, they'll bring them in. Again, it's not the community, it's not the people deciding, it's special interests. They're clustered in specific areas. So they talk about here how there's ghettos and factions. One, um, one person is quoted, the mayor at the time is quoted by this watchdog.org as saying a, a group of Somalis came in to say they had elected a mayor of their community, Harpo related. Then another faction claimed that they had their own leader. We come to find out the, that rival tribes, slaves and masters, were being settled together. Amazing. Think about that. This is from William Summerford, a local taxpayer activist, is quoted in that article. Under federal, um, our education system is overloaded with kids who can't speak English. We have something like 22 languages spoken in our school. City Commissioner Randy uh, Burkett is considering a plan to halt further refugee resettlement. This is a few years ago. We've been a giving community, and it's a huge disservice to bring in refugees in numbers that we're not able to handle. We create small ghettos. Okay, this is the elected officials talking. Mayor Harpole at the time, I don't know if he's still mayor, I didn't check, but he said it three years ago. We had 660 refugee kids who don't speak English, and the U.S. Department of Education says they have to be at grade level within one year. It's ludicrous. They don't even know how to use the bathroom. Okay, this is the mayor saying that. The, see, virtue signaling doesn't speak to that. You can't do that to people. That is not mercy. That is cruelty to your taxpayers, as, as well as just legally being a violation of the underpinnings of the social compact and the Declaration of Independence of governance through the consent of the people. It's disgusting to somehow conflate that with, oh, people aren't giving, they're not accepting of other. It's not true. This is ridiculous. 
Now, maybe you'll tell me, Daniel, oh, no, this is some racist mayor or something or some racist website. Let me read to you. This is unbelievable. It's going to knock your socks off. Let me read to you from the Amarillo Globe News, an op-ed posted there in 2014. This is already a while ago. By a woman who is the executive director of, of Catholic Charities of the Texas Panhandle, formerly known as Catholic Family Services, that was the arm of one of the refugee contractors. So one of the refugee contractors is, um, what do you call it? The U.S. Con uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops is one of the VOLAGs. So this was the Catholic Charities arm to resettle. So this is literally one of the resettlers that we're talking about wrote an op-ed. And she noted at the time that she spent some years away from Amarillo. So, and then she came back to, to do this work again. So she was there in the early part of the 2000s and she came back again. And she noted, in August 2011, I began in my role as executive director at Catholic Family Services. Residing out of the Amarillo area for six years, meaning from 05 to 2011, I was unaware of the dramatic increase in refugee resettlement, languages and cultures, and consequently, the impact on the community, particularly the schools. It wasn't long before I heard from numerous concerned residents and staff from the Amarillo Independent School District. It was clear that the increasing rate of re resettlement needed to slow down significantly to allow the community to catch up with challenges brought about by dramatic demographic changes. They talked about a meeting. She talks about a meeting where, um, you know, representatives of different stakeholders came in and begged the Conference of Catholic Bishops and the State Refugee Coordinator to slow down the rate of resettlement. Complaints came to CFS because the community was and still is largely unaware of a second resettlement agency in Amarillo. She talked about another agency coming in there aside from Catholic bishops. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Again, if you want to check it up, it's at the Amarillo Globe News. Um, Coons is her name with a K. Amarillo needs balance for um, community and strangers. Unbelievable. Nancy Coons, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Texas Panhandle. And yet we have conservative pundits bashing Greg Abbott. Like, you're cold-hearted. You're turning people off. Are you not accepting? What's a little, what's a couple of refugees? It's disgusting that they never look at the plight of everyone else in America. It's always, how could I do pandering which let's face it by their own admission is racial pandering that's all it's about i'm sick of this i'm sick of this so we're going to cover this in greater detail i didn't expect to spend the whole show on this there's so much more we're missing on the stupid virtue signaling vote on iran lots more stories on crime and illegal immigration but we're going to keep up on this refugee issue you need to contact every one of your governors and county officials even if your governor has decided, county officials could reject it. Say no. Use some of this material. Say it's too much. We don't want to become like these communities. It's not fair.
It's not fair. And call Greg Abbott to thank him. One other thing, and I know we're almost out of time, I, I just keep thinking of ideas. I just want to say how the values have changed so much on the American left. One of these resettlement whores are um, highest. The Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, you may as well call it Mayas, the Muslim Immigrant Aid Society, because they, they don't resettle any Jews. Um, they started in 1880, I believe, when Jews were fleeing persecution in Russia at the hands of the Tsar. And I, I remember reading in some of the books, immigration history books, in preparation for writing my own book, how they were cognizant of the need for a melting pot. And they actually studiously were careful to sprinkle people around in a gradual way not to cluster. So you would achieve this balance of welcoming some people, but it's slow and gradual enough and, and fostered through assimilation that you don't get, you know, 70% American, 30% balkanization, which destroys everything. You get 100% American. It's good for the, the native. It's good for the immigrant. It's good for everyone. Those were their values back then. And yet now we can't even get Republicans to hold the line on what I'm saying. Maybe we'll get to this tomorrow, but if you, I don't have time, go to Front Page Magazine, Daniel Greenfield. Governor touts benefits to Arkansas from Afghanistan refugees. This is Asa Hutchinson, and, and, and you could see there. What is wrong with these people? Who needs Democrats with Republicans like these? But this is the unvarnished truth on refugee resettlement. Send this to every one of your relatives. Look, I know a lot of you only listen online through iTunes in your car. But really get in the habit of watching the YouTube. We need to juice up the YouTube numbers. I know most of you are still more audio guys, but this is really how we're going to grow, get advertisers, get the truth out. Um, I need your help disseminating the message because, heck, if we don't do it, no one else will. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.